you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Markia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those sheltering into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. The leaves change, wither, and die as we voyage into a new season. Such are the stories of life and death told over fires to keep warm. Gather close as we share stories to fight back the chills in the air. First, why you should never pick up a hitchhiker. Followed by a late swim where a river entity beckons. Then, the chilling true story of the tsunami ghosts of Japan. And finally, in our featured story, a snow witch casts her curse. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast. Along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com snarled. So, want to hear something scary? Chills in the air. Two travelers meet one night on a dark, forested road. Yet only one of them will live to tell about it. In this story, inspired by Brian. Also, thank you to Fabian, one of our Patreon members, whose name is featured in this story. A cloud of mist hung in the air as Fabian drove along the narrow road through the woods. It was very dark, and not much could be seen beyond the dim illumination of his headlights. Even then, they were faulty, sometimes outright turning off with no explanation. He chuckled to himself, trying to suppress his growing anxiety, but the lights continued to flicker. In an attempt to feel less lonesome, he turned up the volume on the radio. Breaking news, the disembodied voice of a man bellowed, making Fabian jump. The voice broke in and out. As we know, three people have gone missing in the last week, all within. The radio host was quickly overtaken by static. Fabian tried to tune in again, but the radio went dead. As the journey through the forest continued, he grew tired and desperately hoped he would reach a motel soon. With each passing minute, his eyelids became heavier. His headlights were flickering more frequently now and threatening to turn off at any moment. In the distance, he could barely make out the silhouette of something. He thought it was an animal, but as he drove closer, the shape of a man became more defined. A man who was beckoning Fabian, signaling him to slow down. Against his better judgment, Fabian slowed down. After all, it was the right thing to do. Fabian rolled down the window just an inch and was met with two green eyes peering back at him. Can I 
help you? Fabian stammered weakly. What seemed like an eternity of silence occurred before it was finally interrupted with the man's reply. Yes, a deep, hoarse voice answered. I'm looking for a ride into town, if you're willing, of course. Hoping he wouldn't regret it, Fabian unlocked the car door. When the man was inside, Fabian could see him much more clearly. He had tangled, matted black hair and wore an expressionless face and a large brown overcoat. Fabian asked his name, and after an awkward silence, he heard the man whisper, John, as if just landing on the name. The rest of the journey was quiet, but not peaceful in any way, just uncomfortable. Fabian's throat felt like sandpaper and goosebumps ran down his back. His eyes constantly glanced from the road to the rearview mirror to John next to him. Just then, the headlights cut out and Fabian slammed on the brakes. I can't see the damn road, Fabian complained. He looked over at the man to see his reaction, but his face was so still it looked like taxidermy. The lights flickered back on and they could see a sign that read, Welcome to Waterbridge, Maine. Fabian continued driving, and John suddenly became very animated as he urged him to take a side road coming up ahead. Fabian hesitated, but John repeated his request, explaining it was a shortcut, and he even mustered a smile. After an uncomfortable silence, Fabian acquiesced. He felt rude not allowing his passenger the benefit of the doubt. They drove down the unfamiliar road, deeper into the woods. The road gradually became so overgrown and run down that it was less of a road and more of a narrow clearing. Fabian faithfully continued to follow the supposed road until what was left of the road was blocked by three abandoned cars. As he drove closer, his flickering headlights revealed an old dilapidated shack just off to the side, leading Fabian to conclude this was more of a driveway than shortcut. You can drop me here, John exclaimed so Fabian stopped the car. There was an uncomfortable silence as John fidgeted for something in his coat, and Fabian hoped the man was going to offer him some gas money. Good night, John stated as he swiftly drew a wet cloth from his coat and covered Fabian's nose and mouth. There was a strange smell and everything went black as Fabian lost consciousness. Fabian opened his eyes, unsure of how much time had passed. His vision was fuzzy, like a camera, but out of focus. Dizziness and nausea made him regurgitate anything that was left in his stomach onto the floor. He tried to focus on the voice echoing to the left of him. It was humming and wiping down multiple utensils, cleaning off a sheen of a red, inky liquid. I see you're awake, John's deranged whisper croaked. Fabian tried to stand, but his movement was restricted by layers of duct tape wrapped tightly around his wrists, while more tape bound his ankle and torso to his chair. John brandished a knife, pointing it at Fabian. Help! Somebody help! He bellowed. Quiet! John taunted and drove the tip of the kitchen knife into his sternum, making a bloody patch expand on his gray plaid shirt. Fabian whimpered from the pain, but complied and quieted himself. John smiled and withdrew the knife, and he then exited the shack, leaving the door open and letting in the light of the moon. 
Fabian didn't know why John left or where he went, but he knew he had to act fast. He began to thrash and flail in his chair as hard as he could, rattling the rickety old shed and the nearby work table, which caused John's bloody tools to rattle as well. A meat cleaver danced tantalizingly close to the table's edge. If he was careful, he could angle the cleaver to fall to his lap. With his final burst of hope, Fabian swayed and swayed until it fell into his lap and cleaved into his thigh. He winced in agony, resisting the urge to scream. His hands may have been bound, but he could still rotate his arms. He pinched the handle of the cleaver between his forearms and sliced his torso free of the duct tape. He stooped forward and cut through the tape, binding his ankles, still clutching it between his arms. He raised it to his teeth. He slammed his head down, breaking the final bond between his wrists. He was free. Fabian peeked outside the shed, but John was nowhere to be seen. He saw his car abandoned amongst the other cars, but did not have his keys. He knew he had to get out of there, no matter what. Breaking out into a sprint, he ran and dared not look back. Seconds seemed like minutes, and minutes seemed like hours, but he kept running. His heart thundered like a hurricane, and finally, he collapsed by a serene, flowing stream. He couldn't possibly continue. He gagged, but there was nothing left to vomit. His thigh wound was bleeding profusely, and his head pounded from whatever chemicals John had used to knock him out. His dizziness was returning, and his vision was blurring once again. He moved closer to the stream to wash the mud, sweat, and blood from his worn body. As he got closer, he was overwhelmed by a terrible smell as he discovered the body of another man whose throat was slashed open. Something moved out of the corner of his eye. It was John, staring at him with those same green eyes and holding that same sharp knife. The last thing Fabian heard before he died was John's hoarse voice telling him, I love it when they run. Thank you so much, Brian, for sending us this story, inspiring this. How about you, listener? How did you like our hitchhiker horror story? If you have any road trip tales of terror, send them to us. Something scary at snarled.com. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. 
connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. A letter from Carissa calls upon the spirits that haunted her family, inspired by our episode 92, The Mysteries of Mexico Podcast Part 2. Hi, Something Scary. I first got into Something Scary on the Snapchat stories and then realized that you had a podcast. Since discovering it, I've decided to go back to the older ones and work my way up to your new ones. I've just finished your second Mysteries of Mexico podcast, and I heard you ask if there were similar legends about women in rivers throughout Mexico and thought I'd share my knowledge. I myself didn't grow up in Mexico as I was born here in the States, but my father did. He is from Ethalago, and he used to tell me all these stories about witches, devils, possessions, and black magic. One story in particular I thought could be a chilling addition to the lore of something scary. My dad and his cousin lived with their families in a valley between two mountains. They were older teenagers at the time and had just finished working in the fields. Since they didn't have a shower at home, they would often bathe in the river. But it was late, and if they bathed now, they might miss dinner. My dad said he advised that they bathe first and then go home so they wouldn't have to come back at night. Jose, however insisted on wanting to eat first since he lived closer than my dad. He didn't mind walking back at night and left my dad to bathe alone. My dad took a quick dip but felt as if something was watching him. He called for my cousin when he saw a figure move through the woods with red eyes. At first he thought it was a person and tried to look closer but realized it was just a black goat from the hooves he caught skittering away. My father said he still had a weird feeling like he was in danger. He quickly finished his bath before sunset and made it home in time for dinner. It wasn't until the next morning when he got up to go and tend the animals that he found out what happened to Jose. When Jose got home, his mother was finishing dinner and asked him to bring the animals into the gate before he came in to eat. It wasn't until after dinner and after he helped his parents put his younger siblings to bed that he got to bathe. It was well past 10 p.m. when he made his way down to the river, and he emphasized to my father how bright and full the moon was. As he made his way around the bushes that led up to the river, he noticed a woman bathing in the river and thought it was strange. He tried to turn to leave, but the woman turned to him. Jose told my dad that she was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. She had left him, speechless. She just looked at him, and he asked what she was doing. The woman echoed the same question. He answered he was there to bathe, but would go back home to not be improper. Jose told my dad that the lady suddenly moved to get out of the water and got closer to him. That is when he saw that her lower body was goat-like. Fear gripped him and the woman's eyes blazed red as she trotted toward him like a hunter zeroing in on her prey. Jose said he turned and ran as fast as he could to his house, refusing to look back. The next day, he told my father that he was convinced that it was the devil in disguise trying to take him. Thank you so much, Carissa, for sharing your family story with us. Please feel free to share more. If any of you have had an encounter with a spirit or entity while in nature, send us your stories. 
something scary at snarl.com. A recent tragedy leaves lost souls wandering on the shores of Japan, haunting whoever they cross paths with, as seen on a recent episode of Unsolved Mysteries. On March 11, 2011, a massive tsunami struck the Tohoku region of northeastern Japan after an earthquake. Retreating up to higher ground was fraught with challenges as buildings caved in and slopes became slippery from the unforgiving weather that pelted snow on the evacuating populace. The natural disaster reached a height of 131 feet and claimed to confirm 15,854 dead with 2,533 still missing. A recent episode of Unsolved Mysteries, which is now streaming on Netflix, featured a series of supernatural occurrences that spiked right after the event. Survivors were racked with the trauma of searching for loved ones and identifying their bodies. An unnamed guest on the episode noted that if the living were racked with anguish at not being able to say goodbye, so too were the dead. One witness account told the tale of a mourning mother who lost her son to the tsunami and was ready to end it all until her child's spirit began to reach out to her. She held a dinner and her guests noted that she called for her deceased son to join them at the table. There was a long silence as the mother looked expectantly towards the child's playroom. Suddenly, one of the toys began to go off. Little lights blared and made noise shocking everyone in the room. The toy, it seemed, was turned on manually. There was no glitch, and it hadn't gone off before, only when the mother called out for her child, a sign to remind her he was there. And with that, she found the will to go on. Another case involved a woman who was driving late at night when she encountered a cluster of people who flagged her down for help. The group seemed confused and asked her for a ride home, Fortunately, the woman had grown up with the ability to sense and see ghosts, and she immediately knew they were lost souls. The woman gently explained to them that they had not survived the tsunami in order to help their souls find peace and move on. Countless similar reports from taxi drivers claimed to have something similar happen. They'd pick up passengers, be given addresses, and would drive them to their homes. When they'd get there, the passengers would disappear leaving the cab drivers mystified. Later, it was discovered that the families that lived in those houses lost loved ones to the tsunami that matched the descriptions of passengers. Reverend Kaneda dealt with more of the extreme ghost encounters. He explained the phenomenon of community grief and the spiritual work to find peace among the dead and the living. Japanese people don't separate the dead from the living, he said. He compared the veil between life and death to a shoji, a sliding door made of very thin paper. Death is like the shoji, and once you cross that threshold to the other side, there's no coming back, but the living can still see your presence through it. Kaneda's more extreme encounters and his work started after the tsunami. A woman came in with an ailment that had left her in pain and with thoughts that weren't her own. It would begin nightly from 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. These spirits, as Kaneda identified, would use the woman as a vessel to express their pain. It was a clear possession, but one with many spirits in a single body. 
Over time, Kaneda would work to help each unrestful spirit out of her through tears and anguish until they crossed over. Author of Ghosts of the Tsunami, Richard Lloyd Perry, also reported on the phenomenon and wrote about a builder named Takashi Ono. Ono also went to Kanada for help. Perry wrote that the builder expressed that he would have sudden outbursts of aggressive rage with bouts of disassociation. He snaps out of the silence by screaming as if in sudden realization, drop dead, everyone else is dead, so die, he would say. Ono and his friend went to Kanada, who began work to exorcise the spirits. In exploring how it could have started, Ono admitted he had nonchalantly walked devastated areas while eating an ice cream. Kanata told the man, something got hold of you. Perhaps the dead who cannot accept yet that they are dead, the Reverend told Ono. They have been trying to express their regret and their resentment through you. The spirits of many victims of the tsunami still wander Japan searching for peace. A peace that can only be found if the living can overcome their fears of the supernatural and help them come to terms with their deaths. Many people have found that strength to help them, but could you? Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. In the wilderness of Japan, something sinister stalks the unlucky travelers that stray too far from their paths. Very few survive their encounters with the deadly spellbounding snow witch of legend, Yuki Ona. Many years ago, in a village in Japan, there was a young man named Minokichi who owned an inn with his father, Masaku. On the way back from a trip one winter day, there was a freak blizzard. Father and son sought refuge in a small hut in the wilderness that hunters used. Finding little firewood, they prepared a modest fire to keep warm through the night. In the middle of the night, Minokichi suddenly awoke to snowflakes falling upon his face. The world was quiet and still. Hearing a sound to his left, he turned and saw the most beautiful woman he had ever seen kneeling next to his father. He watched as her eyes burned with an unnatural wintry fire. She reached out to touch his father and suddenly he shot awake, gasping and shivering. Minokichi witnessed his father's skin turn a pale blue and then white as the woman's icy embrace removed any trace of warmth from his body. With a final raspy breath, his father died. 
It all happened so quickly and before he could react, the beautiful woman was beside him. Minokichi shivered as he felt her cold breath, just as cold as the snowflakes feathering across his skin. I am Yuki Ona, the woman whispered. I am the Snow Witch. I was going to take your warmth and life as I have your father's, but I will spare you that because you are so handsome. Never speak of this day or you will meet a fate worse than you could ever imagine. Swear on all you hold dear, you will not break your vow. Looking over at his dead father, Masaku, Minokichi swore to keep her existence a secret. The Snow Witch then turned and disappeared, and with her, the winter storm stopped just as suddenly as it had started. Minokichi returned to his village and his life. His father was mourned as one of the few casualties of winter that year, and life moved on. The seasons changed many times, and finally, the man one day met a beautiful young lady named Oyuki. Her beauty rivaled the Snow Witch that he encountered so long ago in the woods, and he offered her work at his family's inn. Together, they ran the inn and were soon happily married. Eventually, they were joined by six children, and Oyuki's beauty never faded as the years went by. On a family trip, Minokichi and Oyuki were caught in a violent snowstorm with their children. Minokichi thought back to the night he lost his father. He had begun to doubt his encounter in the woods, chalking it up to being half awake and too cold. He never did tell anyone, but there was something about this night and his children's eagerness for a story by the fire. Secure within their cabin and too confident in his long years, Minokichi leaned in close and asked his children if they wanted to know about the Snow Witch and what really happened to their grandfather all those years ago. The children quivered in fear as he told the story, but he assured them that they were all very safe here in the cabin together. Asking for their mother, who was preparing supper, the family went into the kitchen to look for Oyuki, but she was nowhere to be found. Returning to the main room, the children began to shiver. The room was icy cold despite the raging fire. Minokichi scanned the room, looking for an open window or door, some source for the sudden cold. His heart sank, and a fear he had not felt in years rushed back into him as his eyes fell on the long-haired woman in the corner facing away from them. The children cowered behind their father as he shouted, Who are you? Leave this house at once. I told you to not tell a soul, the figure whispered. You made a vow. Oyuki turned to face her family as magic shimmered around her and her earthly beauty gave way to the ethereal beauty of Yuki Ona, the Snow Witch. Speaking to her children, she explained, your grandfather gave his warmth and life to quell a blizzard just like this one. Without his sacrifice, many would have died. She then turned her attention back to Minokichi and sadly said, You broke your vow. Do you remember what you swore on? The children's voices had fallen quiet. Minokichi turned to them and cried out as he realized that each of his children had turned into snow versions of themselves. Frozen 
and perfectly shaped in their huddled positions behind him. Minokichi turned back to Yukiona, pleading that they be restored to take his warmth instead. Yukiona shook her head. I cannot. Once you broke your vow, you also broke the spell. They are what I am. At those words, the shutters and doors blew open, pouring the wind and storm into the cabin. After he ran and quickly closed them all, Minokichi discovered the cabin to be empty. His children and his wife, the Snow Witch, nowhere to be found. All he held dear was now gone. The village had much to whisper about Minokichi after that. They say there are many tales about his adventures as he sold his family's inn and began searching for his family among the snowy wilderness. However, he never returned to the village ever again. This week's podcast stories were edited by Marquia McCarty, Sabina Graves, and Dennis Culver. Narration by Marquia McCarty. Audio edited by Fitz Harris and Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Marquia McCarty. Music by Safar Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my dark darlings, sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.